My name is David Ice. Uh, I may look familiar. Last name may sound familiar. Dan Ice is the pastor of Calvary Chapel in Eureka, and I resemble him very much. He's my dad. Um, I have served with him in Eureka. I served with the previous pastor in Eureka before my dad became the senior pastor. And uh, we live in Fortuna, though. And so we're currently serving and a part of Campton Heights Baptist Church. And uh, I do a lot of what I'm doing now. I come in and do kind of the opening announcement things and welcome and share a scripture to get it. We call it a call to worship, but uh, to get our hearts prepared for worshiping the Lord. And then um, I guest speak or teach about once a month uh, just for a little rotation thing and opportunity to share. So um, this isn't new to me, but this place is new to me. Last time I was here, everybody was facing that way. And I was about 17 years old. So uh, I grew up in... Arcata area in Bayside, went to Arcata Christian School, um, <laughs> went there from age K through eight, graduated and went to school right there. So I had to wear a little bit of orange just to represent because I'm so close to my alma mater. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it's good to be back home, even though home looks very much different. It is a blessed place to be a part of. So with all that said, I think you know who I am now or at least enough about me, and uh, on to today's message. If you have a Bible, you can open to Ezra chapter 3. I know we're taking a jump from Matthew. Jim said, don't teach Matthew 14, 15, 16, 17, because that's kind of where we've been and where we're going. And if you've read Matthew 18, I'm not so much into teaching Matthew 18, because that's when you get into church discipline things. So I'll leave that to your pastor and uh, dealing with brothers and sisters in conflict. So we're going to jump into Ezra today. And the topic of the message, or the title of the message, is called Dependence Day. I know, a little cliche, a little catchy. I tried. But hopefully it sticks, because we're going to be talking a lot about dependence today. And really what we have is the 4th of July just came. We all blew stuff up. We all had barbecues. Hopefully we got the day off work. We had a great time, and our family did. We had a good time. We got to spend time with family. Uh, We got to do activities we love. We swam at the river. We did s'mores. We did fireworks, and then we tried to get our family to bed at 10 o'clock with everything exploding above our heads. Thank you, Fortuna people, who decided to do the illegal stuff. Our dog was going crazy, and you know the adventure of the 4th of July. But really, it is Independence Day. It's a celebration. It's to look back at what our country is founded on and where we started. And I was asking my kids and talking to them, why do we do fireworks? And they're like, because we can. Like, it's the day to do it. It's like, well, it kind of goes back to, you know, our national anthem and the Star Spangled Banner and the rocket's red glare and the bombs bursting in air gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. You know that catchy tune? And they're like, okay, I got it. So we are really celebrating what it cost and what it looked like for our independence to become our own nation and to become our own people. And it is really a great moment for us to take a step back and celebrate the fact that we have this portion of the continent to call the United States and say, yes, thank you, Lord, for granting this to us. And thank you for those men and women who gave so much for it. So it's really a celebration. And as we think about it, we made our Declaration of Independence. My son decided this week that he was going to write it down. I said, was it kind of hard? So yeah, he just turned nine. I said, they don't talk the same as we do, do they? And they don't write the same, do they? But man, it was a powerful, powerful message, that Declaration of Independence. Declaring that we want to be free from the bondage 
and from basically the taxes, tariff, and overlording of other countries. And we want to be us. That idea of independence then carries on to individuals, doesn't it? And now in our culture and in our country and to people, we very much want to be an independent person. Think about when you were 17, 18 years old. You just got your driver's license. What's the first thing you want to do? Just drive. Why? Same reason we do fireworks. Because I can. Because I'm free. Because I have this liberty. And independence is so important. It's an idea that carries us. It's an idea that leads us to be strong-willed, to be determined. It's what We look at our country and we go, look at us. But it does not in any way mean that we are to be independent from God. In fact, our independence often leads us into a state of understanding how dependent we truly are in our God. And so that's the idea of the message today, is looking at our dependence upon God and not taking our individual independence so far that we feel we can be without God. Psalm 62, verse 5 says this, My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength, and my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before Him. God is our refuge for us. Selah, or wait. Rest on that minute. Does that sound like an independent person? That sounds like somebody who is fully, 100% dependent upon God in their life. And that's where we want to get to today. So, God alone, the Scripture says, is our rock and our salvation. Trust in Him, you people. Today in the book of Ezra, we're going to be looking at a people that are scattered and a people that are hurting and a people that are lost. The time of Ezra takes place when the Babylonian captivity has happened. They have dragged off the people, Daniel and the other young men to become a part of the kingdom and to serve there. So we get the books of Daniel during the Babylonian captivity, a lot of our minor prophets taking place. After 70 years of Jewish slavery captivity, those who were not fortunate enough to be taken as slaves were then taken and scattered and dispersed amongst the nations. So they took Israelites and they took them and they put them up in Turkey and they took them and they put them over here and they scattered them down there. And then they took other countries that they had conquered and they brought them in and dumped them in to where you get Samaria being right there in the middle of Israel. Taking foreign and just mixing everything up. So even if Israel tried to come back, man, it's going to be messy. It's going to be sloppy. And that was the idea that Babylon had. After 70 years of captivity, they had 70 years of captivity because they decided they wanted to be independent. They no longer wanted to be Israel, which means governed by God. They wanted to be governed by self. And they rejected the laws of God. They rejected the commandments. And they rejected the ideas of coming before the altar and offering the sacrifices daily. And they chose to do their own things. In fact, they went so far as to go into false gods and to the point of sacrificing their own children to false gods. And God said, this is too much for me. I'm going to put you into captivity for 70 years to remind you of the 70 years that you never gave to me being the years of Sabbath. 
You were never willing to sacrifice those for me. I'm going to take you and put you in this place for you to remember. Man, that's an ugly place to start our message today, isn't it? Why are we doing that? It's Independence Day. It's Freedom Day. Well, what we have in Ezra and the book of Nehemiah, which is right next door, is you have these people coming back. They're coming back into the land and they hear word that the temple is gone, the walls are broken, and they are in despair. And as they come back, they say, Lord, we need to get back to You. We need to be dependent upon You. The word dependent, I looked it up in the dictionary, or at least what Google told me. Three different definitions. One, relying on or being controlled by. Okay. Number two, relying on financially. So when you fill out your tax form, how many dependents do you have? Right? The third one, relying on a drug or an alcohol. Three different forms that it's given here. But the one word that keeps running through is relying upon, relying upon, and relying upon. And that's where we start today. Let's pray before we dive into the text. Lord God, we thank You so much that we get the privilege to open Your Word. We pray that Your Word would come alive to us. We, take, we ask that you would take these words that are in black and white and make them in real color to affect our hearts and change our lives. Lord, we don't want to come here today just to say we did this and check the box. We don't want to come here today to pat ourselves on the shoulder and say, yeah, went to church again. Lord, we want to come here today to meet you. We thank you that your word says, and you are true to your word, that when two or more are gathered, you're here. So we ask, Lord, that your spirit would come in this place that You would enter into each of our hearts and that Your will would be done during this time. We give You this time. We thank You, Lord, for Your presence. And we pray this in Your name. Amen. Amen. Ezra, chapter 3, starting in verse 1. And when the seventh month had come, and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. That's a really cool picture there. They all came together as one man, one heart in likeness together. Verse 2, Then Jeshua, which can also be translated Joshua, the son of Josadak, and his brethren, the priest, and Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and his brethren, arose and built the altar of God of Israel, and offered burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, Moses, the man of God. Verse 3, Though fear had come upon them because of the people of their country, of those countries, they set the altar on its base and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and the evening burnt offerings. So when you read through this text, you go, okay, that's really neat. Like, that's a cool thing. They're coming together. The priests are coming together and it says they arose and they built the altar. And then it says in verse 3 that they put the altar on its base, on its place. So they went up to the temple and they went to where the temple was supposed to be on the temple mount. And there's nothing. It's in ruins and shambles. And they found where the altar was supposed to be placed in the outer courts. And they go and they set the altar up there that they built and they put it in its place and they start to sacrifice to the Lord. You just go, wow, that's pretty cool. But I think there's a lot more to it than just that's pretty cool. And I really want us to get this understanding here. When we look at this as them coming back from Babylonian captivity, they have not been able to sacrifice, to come to this place of giving back to the Lord and having the Lord 
figuratively or through picture, take away their sins for 70 years. They haven't been able to do that. For 70 years, these men of God have been longing to come together as one in Jerusalem, in this place. And here's the moment. They finally get it. And they come together with no foundation for the temple. You picture rubble all around. Just the chaos. Have you ever seen somebody take a house down? And as they take it down, and as they start to tear the foundation up, what's left? you got a couple pipes kind of sticking out of nowhere. That's basically what they had. Rubble all around with pipes going, oh, well, that was a sink. That would make that the toilet. And he's kind of put it together. Well, they said, well, here's where the altar was. Let's start there. They construct the altar and they set it in place. Was everything around them perfect? Farthest from it. But what the Lord wants from us is to come to Him no matter where we are. No matter what our circumstances are or what it looks like around us. And I challenge you with that as the Lord challenged me as I was going through this text because I'm one of those guys that's like, okay, this has to be all written out and all perfect. I have to have it all outlined and just right. So the temple has to be not just the foundation, but the whole thing has to be built. We have to have the veil. We have to have the ark. We have to have the inner and the outer. Then we have to have the courts and the walls. And then we can actually start to do service to God. And that's how a lot of people take their relationship with Jesus too. They look at it and they go, well, I need to be cleaned up the way I act. I can't, I can't be in sin. I need to make sure that I look good before I can go into a church. And I need to make sure that I, I'm no longer doing this and I am doing that and my life is then. Then I can have Jesus. And that is absolutely 100% backwards from what the Scripture says. The Scripture says that we are a rubble heap with nothing until the Lord constructs an altar in our heart. And we put that altar in its place and we say, yes, Jesus, it's You. Then, and only then do we start to have life and the temple starts to build. And then, only then does God start to do that work within us that we want, that we desire, and that He desires to do in us. But it starts from the rubble up. It doesn't start with beautiful and then we start with Jesus. But that's what our heart, that's what our flesh, that's what the world tells us. Psalm 51 Verse 17, this is David during his plea after his falling with Bathsheba. And as he comes back to the Lord, he says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Not the well-polished looking individual. Not the one who's walking around in their pride. Not the one who thinks they have it all figured out and put together. No, the one who is broken and the one who is contrite. And God says, come to me this way. Come to me now. Right now, come this way. Both James and Peter echo the same idea in their epistles saying, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We don't have to be the finished classic vehicle before we come to the Lord. We start our restoration at the cross, and with Jesus. So in Ezra it says, they came together as one, and they said, we have to start somewhere. Let's start here at the altar. And so I don't know what it is and what the Lord's wanting to do in you and through you in your life. Maybe you just want to grow. You want to see things differently. You want to do things differently. It has to start somewhere. 
And it doesn't start with the finished work. It starts at the beginning. At the cross and just saying yes. Maybe you want to have a closer, more spiritual walk with your spouse. Pray with them. It may sound really awkward. It may be a little difficult. You may have to say, okay, let's stop what we're doing and let's pray. And you'd be like, okay, let's try this together. (laughs) There may be some times that you forget. Be faithful and diligent to just do what God's called you to do. Take that step to do that thing. You may want to do devotions with your kids. How do I do that? I don't know. Pick up the Bible and say, okay, before we go to bed, let's read a verse. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. Okay, we can talk about that forever. I mean, pastors can talk on Genesis 1.1 for like months. So we can do that. And then the next day you go, let's read Genesis 1.2. And I'm not trying to make little of this. I'm just trying to say start. Start. Because whatever God's urging you, whatever that desire is that you want to see different in your life, whatever that thing is that He's stirring, just start. And God will be faithful to do the work if we're doing it in Him and for Him. Just obey. They built the altar, they set it up in its place, and they sacrificed. Make that step. The number one first thing for uh, our definition of dependence was relying on or being controlled by. Who are they putting themselves under at this point when the first thing they do is sacrifice? They're putting themselves under the control of God going, wow, we messed this up as a country and as a nation. We need to come right back to you and we need to build this altar and we need to get ourselves doing the right things from the very beginning. Let's start here. Being dependent upon relying on, and then being under the control of God in your life. And we'll see how that translates. Verse 4, They also kept the Feast of Tabernacles as it is written and offered the daily burnt offerings in the numbers required by ordinances for each day. Afterwards, they offered the regular burnt offerings and those for new moons and for all the appointed feasts of the Lord that were consecrated and those of every one who willingly offered a freewill offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, although the foundations of the temple of the Lord had not been laid. Going back to that idea. Foundations, not there. No temple. We're not doing this traditionally. We have plywood on our deck. It's not quite finished yet, maybe. It's okay. It's okay because we're here for the Lord. It's okay because it's God's deal. But what did they say there? They said they were reading through and they went, oh, it's the Feast of Tabernacles. Well, by all means, let's do it. We're supposed to be living out God's will. We're supposed to be doing what He consecrated and set apart. And He set up the three feasts for them to do. And they said, well, it's tabernacle time. Let's do it, people. Here we go. The book of Nehemiah goes in much greater depth about how they read the Scripture and they read and they read and they read and they read until midday. And then the people said, keep going, keep reading. They took a lunch break and they came back and they read and they read and they read and they read, consecrating themselves, learning, understanding. And they read in there and they realized, oh, it's the temple or it's the Feast of Tabernacles, also known as the Feast of Booths. Well, what is that feast? What exactly is that one? That's the one where they remember when they were out in the wilderness. They look back to what God did to deliver them from Egypt, 
And then what they did is they had a week-long celebration and a week-long camp out where they would literally build a booth, which we call a tent, and they would sleep in their tent. And they're said to recite and retell the story. So from generation to generation, they will be reminded of the manna, God's daily provision coming down from heaven. That they would be reminded of how God supplied water for them from the rock. And how God made the water from bitter to pure with the rod. And how God saved them from the serpents. And how God delivered them for 40 years. He took care of them. And the soles of their shoes lasted 40 years. I can't get my kids' shoes to last five days. I said, recite this. Tell people this. Spend this time to remember and go have a camp out. When there's nothing else to do, you have no cell phones. You have no TV. You don't even really have an oven. You kind of have a fire, maybe a stove, hopefully coffee. And then what is there? Hot dogs, marshmallows, river, and time to sit around, right? And you just talk. If you want to know more about what's going on in your kids' lives, get them away from the world and away from your house and go for a hike. Go to the, build a fire and sit around it. There's nothing to do but poke the fire and talk. And that's what God's telling them from the very beginning. Go back to your roots. Go back to celebrate the time you lived in tents. And remember how you constantly, every day, depended on me for the bread. And every day I supplied it. It's no coincidence to me that it happens to be the Feast of Booths. The time where they didn't have anything. The time where they could only rely upon God's strength and God's power. Where every morning they had to live by the bread of life given to them. It's no coincidence. They're in the same spot now. They've got nothing. They have nothing around them. And here they are celebrating together. It says that they sacrificed. It says that they constantly went before the Lord and they had this celebration of booths. One thing that I skipped over that I want to jump back to, and I apologize for that. In verse 3 it said that though fear had come upon them because of the people of those countries that were around them. So they, they had conflict. Nehemiah talks heavily about the conflict that they had in rebuilding the wall. And I just want to touch on this for a second because fear is a big deal. And I was trying to think about what kind of story to tell and what kind of an idea to come with. And I don't have this really elaborate one, but I was thinking as I was driving here and um, thinking about coming back to Arcata High. There was a time when we had a club here that met through this church right there where you're sitting. And we would come together and we would just open the Bible and we would share about it. And there were usually like six of us, maybe eight of us. It wasn't a big deal. But I remember as we started to grow a little bit and people started to find out about us, we had a little group that was coming and one day they asked me to share. Like, you want to share? You want to do the devotion part of it? And I was like, sure. You know, 17, 18 years old. And I remember I parked up at the top because my first class was up there. So I was at the gym and I remember grabbing my black Bible that said Holy Bible on it, David B. Ice in the bottom corner and carrying that and only that all the way from the gym, all the way through the court, all the way through everybody, all the way through the parking lot with the kids that were leaving, with my heart just thumping and feeling like there was a spotlight on top of me and one of those sirens on my head going, woo, woo, 
everybody look here. He's got a Bible. What's going on? And I remember the fear of men that day. Being so caught up into what people thought. And being so in that spot of going, I don't know about this. But what I can tell you is by the time I finally made the 18-hour journey from the gym to here, the first time that the Lord gave me the opportunity to rightly divide the Scripture to a group of people, I was sitting right there to a group of people that was bigger than I thought it would be. And I knew that I could only do it by the power of God because I was petrified to walk through campus with my Bible. And when we come to that place of humility and we're in that place of fear, the only way that we can make it and the only way that we can be successful is when we are truly in a state of dependence. And we truly understand, this can't be me because I will fail. This can't be me because I'm scared. And that's what they're saying here. This is fearful because they think we're going to rise up and they think we're going to take over. And really, we just want to worship God. And so let's do it though. Let's take that step and they raise the altar up. So a little jump back there. But don't be, don't let fear take over. Don't be afraid of an awkward prayer with your spouse. Don't be afraid of your kids looking at you like you're crazy. You probably are, at least in their eyes. So don't worry about it. Just love them and lead them the way that God wants you to. So they all gather together. They celebrate. They give their sacrifices and they get back into the routine. Scary place to be but back into the way that God wants them to be living, the way God ordained them to as they began to sacrifice. Verse 7, it says, They also gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food, drink, and oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre to bring cedar logs from Lebanon to the sea, to Joppa, according to the permission which they had from Cyrus, king of Persia. So, how in the world is a people that aren't really a nation going to come together and rebuild a wall and rebuild a temple and do all these things when they don't even have an economy? How in the world are we going to get this accomplished? What are we going to do? The odds are stacked against us. This is overwhelming and there is no way that we can overcome that. Has anybody ever felt that way? I can sincerely and sadly say I've felt that way when I've looked at my credit card bill in the past. Right? But we can feel that way about a lot of things. Whether it be the stresses of work, whether it be the conflict with co-workers, conflict within family, conflict within church, conflict within our communities. Whatever it is, we look at it and we go, this is insurmountable. That's a, that's a bad word. We don't like that word in our dialect. But the truth is, is that most everything in our life and most everything that we confront right in front of us is insurmountable. Except for by the grace of God and His power working through us to make Himself be glorified. So, here they have this insurmountable task. How are we going to do this? Well, let's take what monies we have and we'll give it to the masons, you know, the bricklayers, the stone workers, and let's give it to the carpenters. And let's see if we can't get a foundation built out of this. Then they took some of their food and their drink and their oil. And they're like, well, we've got this. Let's go do some bartering back and forth. And thank the Lord that God put on the king's heart, King Cyrus, to write this decree, help these people. Which also makes no sense. You have a group of people that's leaving your bondage and your position where you have them nicely tucked to go back to Israel because they want to build a wall and build a shelter. 
And because they want to build a temple to worship their God, who, by the way, they remember the God who did what they did to Egypt. And how's Egypt looking at this time and current events? Not a world power anymore, are they? They remember the God who walked them through the Jordan and then took out the land. They remember that this is who this God is, but he still says, you know what? That sounds cool. I like Nehemiah. Let's do that. Let's write this decree. And Nehemiah says, well, when you send us over there, could you also tell these other countries to help us? He's like, yeah, sounds like a great idea. Only by the power of God. Does a king ever say, sure, let's give liberty to a whole other country so they can try to rise up again? No, they try to keep everybody down so that they can stay up. That's just human nature, not to mention politics, right? It doesn't make any sense except for the fact that God is working in this. So they have this decree and they say, okay, let's make this barter back and forth. Let's do this. Let's make this exchange. Our second definition of dependence, relying on financial support. Remember your dependence on your tax form? My kids don't ask where food's coming from. They ask to go get the food at this place, but they know that they're going to get food. Praise the Lord for that, right? Some families aren't in that same position, but we take care of our kids because we love them. And God looks down at us as his kids and says, I love them. I'm going to take care of you. You may not get a Rolls Royce, but a Ford Focus will do. We can make this work, right? And God looks down on his people and smiles and says, I'm going to take care of you. And this is a touchy one, and I don't want to spend too much time here, but relying on God for our finances and for our support to move forward, trust in the Lord that he will fund it. He will fund this temple being built. He will fund your family. He will fund the ministry that God is calling you to or that you're a part of. Do we trust Him in those things? Money is something that the world requires and something that we are in bondage to to live here, is it not? But when it becomes our Lord and when it becomes something that we truly are bound under and in bondage to, then we're failing because God's so much greater than money, isn't He? What is in heaven, what are the streets paved with? Gold. Man, if you could just chisel a little chunk out of that. I mean, just, I mean, the divots that we drive through, right? Those potholes, if we could just take one of those, we'd be set for life. And God's like, the whole picture is don't worry about it. What you value so greatly, money, riches, wealth, fame, shine, bling, whatever you want to call it, it's just my asphalt, man. It's nothing. But to be in the presence of the Lord, that should be what we strive for and what we desire. Matthew six, nineteen through twenty one. Told you I'm gonna leave this money thing pretty short and sweet here. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Man, they've killed some good things of mine. And where thieves break in and steal. That's also happened, all my CDs from high school. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What's our treasure? What are we striving and putting our energy in? That's where our heart is. eBay is awful. It can take up so much of my time. 
And there are so many other things that revolve around money and wants that we would hold a treasure. Do we rely on the Lord for our financial support? Verse 8. Now in the second month of the second year of their coming, so 14 months in, to the house of God at Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, Jeshua, the son of Jezadak, sorry, and the rest of the brethren, the priests and the Levites, and all those who came out of captivity to Jerusalem, began to work and appoint the Levites from from twelve or sorry, from twenty years old and above to oversee the work of the house of the Lord. Then Jeshua with his sons and brethren, Cadmiel with his sons and the sons of Judah, arose as one to oversee the working of the house of God. The sons of Henadad with the son, sons and the brethren, the Levites. We got through all that. There are the people that are doing it. Verse 10, is that right? Yeah, verse 10. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with their trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asapheth, <laughs> with cymbals, the priests, or the praise of the Lord according to the ordinance of of David, the king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever towards Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout when, the, when they praised the Lord because the foundations of the house of the Lord were laid. Sorry about my reading there. I stumbled a bit. So we have this list of people basically being the priests that are coming together and starting to continually serve and work around the temple, though the temple's not built yet. Doing the sacrifices, getting people ready. They already have their garments. They're getting things set for when the temple gets built. And here we have them all coming together, and it says the builders had laid the foundation. Whew! We got it started. We got this thing going. I want to remind you, this foundation would not be started if they did not first raise the altar. Going back to that first topic that we shared, we want to raise the altar so then the foundations can be built. But how great is it when we are on a rock and a foundation that is solid and stable? And the Lord says, I will be that rock. You come to me and I will be that rock for you to rest on. The builders have finished it. The foundation is there. And what do the priests and the Levites do? They take their trumpets. I did a trumpet sound, but it's not very good. They took their trumpets. They took their cymbals. They banged them together and they started to praise the Lord. And what I love about this is the work isn't done and they're praising the Lord. How often do we get to a foundation laid or we get to the next step and we go, oh man, now we got to, okay, let's start getting the walls built. We got to get this thing going. What's next? Okay, we got to make sure we have enough tile to go down. We got to make sure we have enough this, that. What's next? They stopped. They stopped what they were doing to recognize what God had done. The foundation was laid. And they started to blow the trumpets. They started to bang the cymbals. And they started to go crazy celebrating and worshiping their God who had done this. That's a big deal. That is a huge deal because so often in my life I don't celebrate what's done. I look to I'm not finished. And God says, but look at what we did. 
Look at what we've accomplished. And I go, yeah, but I'm not done. And he goes, but look. And I, we have this argument back and forth. And I never win. I need to stop and praise the Lord right where I am. It says they have responsive worship. It just naturally comes out. They celebrate and they read the Scripture. They sing the Scripture. And what do they proclaim? For He is good. Can we all say amen? He is good. My goodness, He is good. And when we stop and we spend time with Him, and when we stop and we see what He has done, and we stop and we see the foundation that's been laid, we can go, wait a minute. God is good. Look at what God has done in me, to me, through me. I'm not capable of any of this. But look at what has happened in this transformed life that is led by the Spirit. For His mercy, not giving us what we do deserve, endures forever towards Israel. They deserve to stay lost forever in captivity. They deserved nothing because of their disobedience. They didn't deserve to come back and become a country again. They didn't deserve their land again. No, they deserved to be left out, washed away, no more. But God is true to His promise. And God promised to Abraham. And God declared to Isaac. And God proved through Jacob all the way from generation to generation that you will be My people. And then when they entered into the land, Joshua said, look, it's ours. Let's do this. He proved again. Now you have your land. And then He raised up His prophets. And he said, look, you'll be governed by me. And then it all started to unravel, didn't it? We get into judges, and then we get into kings, and we see this progression of their independence. But God was faithful, true and true. And God promised from the beginning, so God will be, promised, will be faithful to that promise again until the end, even though they don't deserve it. His mercy endures forever. They worship Him here. They declare these truths. John chapter 4, verse 24. Jesus talking to the woman at the well says, God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Here we have the living God, the God of all creation who is spirit, who then promises to indwell His people when they come to the salvation of Jesus Christ. And as that happens, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit within us. And as the Holy Spirit indwells within us, we now worship, not by our own might, and not by our own tongue, but by the Spirit of the living God within us, we worship God. We don't worship Him with our hands. We worship Him with our heart, because our heart is new. They cry out in a celebration. Our third topic and title for dependency was relying on a drug or an alcohol. You might go, what? David, that one doesn't quite work. This is a stretch. I don't think so. Ephesians 5.18 And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Those who find themselves in a position of relying upon a drug or an alcohol to either get their next fix or get them through 
the trials of the day. It's super sad. I work at the hospital down at Redwood Memorial, and one of the nurses was talking in there, and they're like, oh, you don't drink? And it actually wasn't me, but no, I don't. But this other person's like, no, I don't. I've seen it ruin my dad's life. I don't drink. And they're like, wow, how do you get through the day? Like, I just can't wait knowing that when I get home, I've got a beer or two waiting for me. How do you get through the day? They are dependent, relying upon that alcohol to just kind of wash them away to go, oh, now I can relax. The Bible says, don't rely on that. Don't rely on an out-of-mind, out-of-body experience. Rely on the Spirit of the living God living inside of you. Become filled with the Holy Spirit so that you are empowered and depending completely on the Spirit of the living God in your life. And you're walking with Him. Not in your own strength and not in your own power. So, was that a stretch? Not to rely on drug and alcohol? We have the replacement. And it's so much better. Now, drugs and alcohol are a big deal. They're a huge issue all over the world. Huge issue in our community. And I encourage you, just pray for those people. Encourage those people and say, I have something so much better. And He's living inside of me and He wants to live inside of you. And that is God. By the power of Jesus, the Holy Spirit coming in you, and He will change you. Be led, relying, depending upon the Spirit. Those who worship God must worship in spirit and in truth. It says they proclaimed a loud shout, so loud that the foundations of the house of the Lord were laid. They were excited in verse 12, but, however, many of the priests and the Levites and the heads of the Father's house, old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of the temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard afar off. So as they're shouting and they're celebrating, we have the one that makes total sense. Yes! Look at what God has done! Look at it! The foundations have been laid. Look at the work God has done. Let's celebrate this thing. Yes! And they shout and everyone hears. But there's this other group of people who had seen the first temple who were weeping. Sorrowful. Now, we live in the Western culture where weeping is kind of a take it to your own closet type thing. In Israel, weeping was an outward thing. In fact, it was so much so that when there was a death in the family and a loss, they would hire people to come and they were the professional weepers and mourners that would weep to show the whole world that we're in a state of sorrow. So having that outward emotion, being on your chest, coming out on your sleeve is very natural in the Middle East and in Israel. And so here they are, they're weeping out and they're crying out and they're so distraught. I don't know if this is a weeping of joy and excitement, but the way it says, but, however, <laughs> leads me to believe, wow, look at what we caused. <laughs> look at where we came from. Look at what has done, because they saw the previous temple in its glory, Solomon's temple, and now they see this great celebration over flat rocks that are the foundation. And they just go, wow, look at what our disobedience did. Look at where this is. John 4.24 said, remember we worship in spirit and in truth. Sometimes 
Worship is a celebration. Trumpets, symbols. Yes! Sometimes worship is real and it's true. And when it's in its real and its true state, it's weeping. It's sincere. It's hurtful. It's hard. Because you are before the presence of God Almighty in your current state, whatever that current state is. But what God says is those who worship Him must worship one in spirit and two in truth. Don't play the worshiper. Be the worshiper wherever you are. Whatever your state is. If that means that you are so sad you drop to your knees and you cry during worship, I don't think that the band will stop and go, excuse me, we're supposed to be praising. There's, there's no crying right now. This isn't the Tom Hanks movie where there's no crying in baseball. There is crying in life. It's a real thing. There is weeping. There is true sorrow. There is raw emotion in living in this world. And if that means that when we're worshiping God and it's real and we're contrite in our heart and we're humble before Him and we break down in weeping or we stand up with joy, God says yes, because now we are having one-on-one relationship. Now we are having fellowship together. That's what I want. That dependent heart that is fully relying upon me. No matter where you are today, worship God. Worship Him that you are in the lowest of the low and you never thought you would get here because He's there with you and worship Him because He is your way out. Worship Him because you are on your highest of high and you just sat in the presence of the Lord God Almighty and He said, yes, you're my child. Worship Him for that. And then anywhere in between, worship the Lord in spirit and truth. Depend on Him. Trust in Him. Zechariah 4.6 This Scripture takes place during this time. They built the foundation, and then as they built the foundation, they hit opposition, and it took a long time before they finally started getting back to building the temple again. The celebration kind of dwindled. They didn't get to the next step. They didn't move forward. And as they're struggling, Zerubbabel, remember we read that name in Ezra? He's trying to get the people together and he's trying to get this temple built and he's trying to get to where God wants them to be. And the prophet Zechariah says this, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Not by might are you going to have a better marriage. Not by power are you going to become a better father or mother, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Only by the Spirit of the living God. Might here is actually the idea of our intellect, our thinking. Not by how much you drive and how much you think and how much you plan and how much you do in your head can you ever get this done without the Spirit of God. Power is literally the idea of our strength, our own physical ability. Not by your own physical ability will you ever be able to accomplish this, but only by the Spirit. But by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. As we close today, I don't know exactly where you are, but I know you're in the right place. I don't know exactly what the Lord's doing in your heart and wants to do in you and through you. 
But right now is an opportunity for the Spirit of the living God to work in you. I challenge you today to die. To become fully dependent today. We celebrate our independence in this country. We celebrate our independence by individualism. But in so doing, it is not in any way without God. Trust in God. Look to God. Allow God to do that work that you desire to see for Him and that He desires to do in you. No matter how hard it may be, no matter how difficult, how big that hill may seem, give it over to Him. Whatever it is today, start today. Raise the altar up today and start at the foot of the cross today. All the Scripture that we've looked at today All of these things in Ezra are a complete reflection of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The Scripture says that all those things were a picture to show us the Messiah. Jesus said, Upon this rock and this foundation I will build my church. What was that? You are the Lord, the Son of the living God. He is our foundation. Who is the one and only sacrifice? John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. At that altar is Jesus Christ. And as we trust in Him, and as we make Him our foundation, He gives us the Spirit as a seal and as the power to move forward in obedience with Him. I pray you do it today. Let's close in prayer as the worship team comes forward. Lord God, we thank You so much that that Your Spirit is in this place, that Your Spirit is in our hearts, and that You desire to do great and mighty things through us. You don't just leave us abandoned and lost. No, Lord, You take care of us. Lord, we pray right now that each heart here would be filleted open before You. That we wouldn't be putting on a show or an act, but Lord, You would minister and You would reach in deep. And you would do those things you desire to do. Lord, we pray for those, if there be any that don't know you, that today would be that day of salvation, that we start there. For those who do know you, Lord, we pray that today would be a day of walking closer to you. Whatever it is to surrender, whatever it is to obey, whatever it is to just get closer to you, we pray that they would take that step and do it. Lord, we thank you that it's not anything of us but it's entirely of You. And we can proclaim as a body of Christ that Your mercy endures forever. We love You, Lord God. Thank You for Your Son, Jesus, and the gift of Your Spirit. We pray this in Your name. Amen.